For Lent, we've been following the journeys of Abraham, and you may recall last week in the 18th chapter of Abraham, God speaks with Abraham about the outcry that's come against Sodom, and God is going to investigate that. And you'll recall that Abraham uh, wrestles with God on Sodom's account. Well, this now in chapter 19, as we pick it up, is the account of God uh, through the angels checking on Sodom. This begins in verse 1 of chapter 19. The two uh, angels arrive in Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting there in the city gates, and when he saw uh, the angels, he ran to meet them and bowed down and fell with his face to the ground, and he said, My lords, please turn into your servant's house tonight and wash your feet, and then you may rise up early and go on your way. But the angel said, No, we will spend the night in the open square. But Lot insisted strongly, and so they turned in to his house. And Lot made for them a feast, and he baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But the men of the city of Sodom, uh, young and old, the people from every corner surrounded the house and called out to Lot, Where are the men who you brought in to your house. Bring them out to us so that we might know them carnally. And Lot went through the doorway, shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. I have two daughters who have never known a man, and you may take them and do with them as you wish. But please do nothing to these men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. You'll recall a few weeks ago as a public service that I told you, if anyone wanted to sell you a timeshare in Sodom, don't take it. Well, I want to build on that theme today and remind you that should anyone ask you to volunteer or serve with the Chamber of Commerce of Sodom, don't take that job either. Sodom has got a very bad reputation in the scriptures, it even starts before today's story. Remember way back in chapter 13 when Abram and Lot sort of go their different ways and we're told that Lot will take his flocks toward Sodom. And what we hear about Sodom even then is that they are sinning greatly before the Lord and that they are very wicked. Then in chapter 14, we find that they're the kind of people who are now going to foment a rebellion against the consortium of five kings that is ruling over their territory. And then the next time we meet them last week in chapter 18, the cries have, uh, of their behavior have come out so loud to God that God has to tell Abraham, look, I'm going to have to go check this out. And then, of course, today we have the episode of what happens when the two angels show up in Sodom. And then if I would have gone further with the passage, you know what would have happened. It would have told of the destruction of Sodom while Lot and his family uh, were rescued. But if you read forward other texts, when the, often when the prophets refer to Sodom, it's almost as an ex example. Don't be like this. Or you'll be destroyed like Sodom. Quit doing this, or you'll be destroyed like Sodom. The reputation of Sodom in the scripture is not very good. So I thought it might be worth our while for a few minutes this morning simply to ask, what's going on in Sodom? What's their big mistake? Just as God sent the two angels to investigate Sodom, uh, maybe we should investigate Sodom as well. And so, like Mary, 
uh, told the children, I went into the Scripture uh, to try to see what the Scripture said about what was going on in Sodom that uh, got this sort of response from our God. Well, uh, the first thing that came to your mind is what came to my mind. I grew up in a church, and any time Sodom was mentioned, it was usually in some sort of uh, condemnation of uh, homosexuality. And uh, Jude, the, um, the letter, it's very brief in the New Testament, actually refers to immorality and perversion among the people of uh, Sodom. But two things here. One is it's not so much an act here, sort, sort of an attempted gang assault that's going on by the men, young and old, from every corner of Sodom. The second thing is if you go forward, like Mary did with the children, and you read other passages about Sodom, you find that if there's some sort of sexual misbehavior, and apparently there is, that's only a part of the story. In fact, it's not even the larger part of the story. This is what Ezekiel says in the 16th chapter. Ezekiel says that the people of Sodom are arrogant. They're overfed. Uh, They don't care. They are unconcerned about the needy. If you look in the Talmud, which, uh, which the sayings, before they were written down, were probably well known to Jesus. Uh, one of the things that rabbinic scholars said about um, uh, Sodom was this, that they were unjust, they were mean, and they were inhospitable. If you go back to last week's passage, one of the things that you will find is that God says, I need to go check out Sodom because the outcry is so great. Well, some of you may recall back in 2006 when Ray Vanderland came and spoke at Trinity University, one of the things he did for about 15 minutes is he traced the whole concept of crying out uh, in, in, in the Hebrew Bible. And, and I'll just give you a brief summary. One of the first th- times, the first time you run up against crying out is when Cain kills Abel. Remember that story? And so God uh, says basically to Cain, where's your brother? His blood is crying out to me. So the very first time you run into it, it's about a terrible injustice that has been done. And then you go forward and you come to Genesis 19, where we are, uh, 18, where we were last week. Then you go forward to Exodus. And God is getting ready to move against the Pharaoh. And God has called Moses back to go back to Egypt. And one of the things that God says is that their cries have come to my ears. I have heard the crying out of the Hebrew slaves in Egypt. And so again, it's it's tied in with uh, uh, very uh, cruel and unjust behavior. Then if you go forward in Exodus, you will read about the slaves, the Hebrew slaves escaping. And so they get out of Dodge. But as as they escape Egypt and cross the Red Sea, they get strung out. And at the back of the line are women who are nursing children, children whose small legs can't keep up with the others, Uh, the aged, the infirmed. And what we find out is the Amalekites swoop down upon this helpless population and, and try to take them as slaves. And God's response to that is that that is cried out to God, and God says, I'm going to eliminate the Amalekites. And in fact, we'll even tell Saul uh, to do so uh, some centuries later. But again, the crying out was about an incredibly unjust uh, and mean and inhospitable activity. 
And so the majority of time you run into crying out, it has to do not with some sort of uh, perversion, unless that perversion is a perversion of social justice, which is what gets, I believe, the attention of our God. And we see it acted out. Because we come to Genesis 19, and what happens? Two angels come to visit. Two strangers are in town. And Lot sees them, and I think it's amazing. Lot's in the city gate, and, and we've talked about city gates in the past. It's, it's, it's the, uh, not only the sort of city council chambers, it's kind of the courtroom. It's also, um, it's also like uh, your web browser front page where you get the news. I mean, it's all of that. Uh, it, the city revolves around it. And so Lot's sitting there and, in Sodom and sees these two strangers. So immediately runs to them and says, look, come to my house. You know, clean up and then get up early in the morning and leave. Because Lot knows what hap- what's likely to happen if they stay. Because he knows about the hospitality level of the people of Sodom. We've talked about it before, but a reminder Hospitality is a major value in the ancient Near East as it is in many parts of the Middle East uh, today. Maybe not a major, maybe the major value. The worst thing you can do in the desert is be inhospitable to someone because when you're in the desert, you have a tendency to be hungry, thirsty, or lost. And you can't survive unless people come to your aid. And so one of the great values is... That if someone is a stranger, you, you protect them if they come into your midst and you look after them and, and, and you help them uh, so that they can eventually go on their way and be found uh, and be where they need to be. And this is taken very seriously. 1999, the first time that I, I went with a group to Israel, uh, our bus driver, uh, 51 of us get on the bus and he goes to his glove compartment and pulls out a gun. Surprises me, even though I'm from Texas. And this is what he says. He gives us his name, David. And he says, um, I just want you to know that I'm your host and you are my guests. If anything happens, I will protect every one of you on this bus at the, very, at the cost of my life. I will do whatever it takes to protect you while you are with me. That's hospitality. That's how seriously it works in that part of the world. Uh, a little bit later on that trip, uh, we were walking through a place called Arad, which Abraham likely has spent a lot of his time in that part of the desert. And we went to a Bedouin encampment. And, and Bedouins, as you may know, in Israel don't move around quite so much anymore because the government trucks in water uh, to them. Uh, but they still have this, this sense of desert hospitality. And so we were walking, 51 of us, ac- across this part of the desert toward a Bedouin encampment. And it, even in this Bedouin encampment, there's a sense of property lines. And so when we reach the line of a certain uh, house or, or dwelling uh, in the encampment, one amazing thing happened. A 12-year-old boy with a, with a carbine on his back, he's, he's packing a rifle, rides out on his camel to meet us. And then escorts us all the way to his dwelling where the women that are in the dwelling uh, take what little dough and what they have left, and they make basically little tortillas for all 51 of us. Uh, I don't know how much coffee they've got. It's not a whole lot because they dilute it greatly to get enough for 51 people to have a small bit of coffee. 
And then we finished our time with them. We walked back out across the desert, and the boy uh, riding with the rifle on his back takes us to the property line and sees us on our way. Hospitality, a huge value because you cannot survive in the desert. Uh, two millennia before Jesus without hospitality, I'm pretty much convinced you can't survive two millennia after Jesus in the United States of America without hospitality. And if someone helps you and blesses you and welcomes you in your time of need, it is just a huge value. This explains a very strange part of the story, which really offends all of us who are parents. Uh, Lot is trying to do everything to save these two visitors, so he's basically, they say, well, we'll spend the night out here in the open. He's going like, no, you won't. Gets him in his house, and then when his house gets surrounded, he, he closes the door behind him and says, gentlemen, look, I have two daughters. Take them. And we're absolutely horrified by that. But that's because we don't live in a culture where the highest value is you protect the stranger. At all costs, you protect the stranger. And here's the, here's the side note. The daughters would have understood that. Well, it doesn't come to that. But they would have understood. Extreme inhospitality. And this travels all the way through scripture and comments on Sodom. That's like the main offense. They are unjust. They are wicked. They simply don't care for anybody but themselves. And I'm thinking, well, how would a chamber of commerce feel about that? I mean, don't we need more visitors? Isn't that the best thing for our economy? <laughs> Here's the funny thing. Most, I won't say most, many experts, Jewish and Christian, believe that that's exactly the reason why the sodomites are so inhospitable, and that is they think it's bad for the economy to have people in need to come into your town. It's bad for the economy to have visitors even who may not be in need to come into your town because they may bring their goats and they may bring their cattle and they may eat the grass that your goats and cattle were eating. And then the poor who have nothing will need bread and, and that'll be bread that well, you were collecting and baking for yourself. Many experts believe that the reason they're so inhospitable in Sodom, the reason they want to attack people, the reason they're so mean to people, is because they don't want anybody but themselves. They just want to hoard and keep everything they have to themselves. Tradition says it was actually against the law in Sodom to give a stranger bread and water. I mean, it's, it's not y'all come back. It's y'all get out of here as soon as possible. And so they they affected policies, including attempted gang assault, to drive people away. And of course, the irony of the story is that the harder they tried to hold on to what they have, the quicker they lost it. And in trying to protect all their possessions and all their land and all their resources, by the end of chapter 19, it is all burned It's not in the Bible, but I think there's a story that might help us understand it. You'll remember the story of Pompeii. Earthquake, I mean, excuse me, volcano, and lava come. And people have not much warning that this is happening. A bit, but not much. But the interesting thing, as you know, is, is the way that it happened, we actually have 
found many people preserved in what they were doing with their last acts. And one of the more poignant ones for me is a couple who obviously had enough warning to start to run, but decided they needed to make a stop first. And we find them in kind of a closed-off back area where their jewels are kept. And archaeologists find them clutching their jewels as they die. That's Pompeii. But it's also Sodom. It's any place where we hold so desperately to what we have that we end up losing everything anyway. Now, you may be surprised to find that the biggest disappointments I have in my life have nothing to do with March Madness. They usually have to do with times when I've seen that in myself. That I was not hospitable. That I was so concerned about self-preservation that I could not do the right thing. Uh, How many of us saw someone picked on unmercifully in junior high, and yet we, we are so concerned about our reputation and going against the crowd that we never said a thing. I'll never forget that from seventh grade, and I cannot get that moment back. First church where I was a pastor, wonderful group of people. And uh, as their leader, I helped them get to the point where they were willing to open up their fellowship hall. Now, the fellowship hall, friends, is not the Taj Mahal. I mean, it is many, many years old. It, it, it's, it's, it's not a wonderful building, but it's theirs. They finally decide to open it to the local chapter of AA because they have nowhere else to meet. Well, the It's great to have them in there, but our people soon find out that though they may have stopped drinking, they haven't stopped smoking. And it smells like smoke when they leave. And so shortly thereafter, they decided they'd rather risk people back out drinking than in their church building smoking. And inhospitably, the group is cast out. I was so proud that we were one of the first four churches to um, organize a ministry. A ministry was at the, uh, the detention center. We were close to the border. There were people who were trying to cross illegally. Uh, they were um, uh, caught, and they were put in a detention center. Well, our church decided that these were human beings. And so they were, with three other churches, going to begin to minister to people. Just simple things like making sure they had toothbrush and toothpaste and, and a deodorant and just some basic necessities. And, and under my leadership, we did that. And then under my leadership, our church decided that, well, they might be human beings, but they're still here illegally, and so they don't deserve toothpaste, toothbrush, deodorant, water. And they pulled out. If you would have told me and the people in my congregation that we were sodomites, we would have been highly offended. We don't engage in those sorts of activities. But the very sorts of activities that the Bible talks about are inhospitality, injustice, mistreatment of those who are needy, poor, or new, or different. That's what it is to be Sodom. And that's why the penalty is so severe, because that's not the kind of people that God's looking for. God's not looking for those of us who want to hold on as tightly as we can to what we have. God's looking to see if we'll open our hands, because God gives so freely, and we'd be willing to share it.
But that's not the end of the story of Sodom. If you read further, it's pretty amazing. In the 55th verse of, of Ezekiel 16, this is what God says. God says, I will restore Sodom. Can you imagine? As badly as they screwed up. As many 7th graders as they watched getting their head flushed in a toilet. As many prisoners as they watched not get water or deodorant or toothpaste. As often as that happened, God said, I'll restore it. I'll bring it back. You see, our God is so much less interested in hoarding than our God is in giving, including giving life to those of us who have hoarded the promise of the Bible. The warning of the Bible is don't be like Sodom. But the promise of the Bible is when you slip up. Remember that even one day, and I don't know when, and I'm not even completely sure how, but Ezekiel says Sodom will be restored. And maybe then they'll need a chamber of commerce.